Nando's. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Fighter Muscara Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bello. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the. Uh. Hello? Bueller? 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 It's Sandos in the... Don't do it. If you value our partnership, don't do it. We've been putting it in together five years. Don't do it, Mike. Don't, don't do it, Mike. Dude, who's there? Why'd you do it, Mike? Why? Why? To humiliate me? Boring. For what? No. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. No, 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 hell no, 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 I refuse, no, no. On the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jake Sandoz alongside Robert Harper as we break down ETSU and Furman. Uh, after I talk to Robert about that, we'll break down the Southern Conference, some of the scores around the league, and then I'll look at bold predictions where uh, Matt Wilgham could possibly get one for his Bravos. He uh, went with six straight wins, a sweep of the Phillies and a sweep of the Nationals. I know that's music to Robert Harper's ears, also a Braves guy. So they've got the first four down uh, as we record on Tuesday morning. A couple more to go. I did get one bold prediction, and Osh Carter would find the end zone. So we'll talk about that on the recap. Again, we'll talk Southern Conference football. But we're going to start, Robert, with the game Saturday at the green, and it was another woulda, shoulda, coulda night for the Bucks. And this is this is reminiscent right now of 2019. In 2018, ETSU won every close game known to mankind. They seem to lose every game in 2019 the same way, and right now ETSU just shooting themselves in the foot. Before we get to the woulda, coulda, shoulda, I think that Tuesday has to be the most popular day for the podcast, at least for the last several weeks, because I've been on it. And I've come up with a new name. It should be sideline and the and excuse me, Sandos and the sideline guy. Kind of, kind of keeps that same SNS movement going. But anyways, no, I, I, uh, I agree. I, I think when you look at, you know, the way this year has taken shape, I think it's just kind of been a perfect storm. Unfortunately, when it comes to missed opportunities, I mean, you know, I think the the Mars Hill game was kind of what you expected early. It was real, pretty much in the bag before it even got to the end of the first quarter. You look at the Citadel, you miss those opportunities that we talked about a week ago, and then it kind of rears its head again last weekend against Furman at home. That game just seemed to be in a kind of a cavalcade of things that just, you know, you didn't expect that were kind of unfortunate. Let's look at the first two interceptions from from Tyler Rydell. I mean, he threw the, the one that was batted at the line of scrimmage and got intercepted by Hugh Ryan. I mean, you know, those things are, uh, you know, just – you know, unexpected and, and unfortunate, and the one at the at the goal line. I mean, I don't know if the read was all that great to get the ball to Anaj Carter, but uh, you know, the ball getting, going off of the defender and, and being intercepted is also unfortunate. So, what was a you know seven three game, right, could have very easily been ten nothing or greater, 
in favor of the Bucks if those two unfortunate things don't happen. And then you can talk about some of the things later in the ballgame um, that were there as well for ETSU. I mean, as, as poorly as some want to say they played, I mean, they had the ball down a possession with, you know, a last drive opportunity. Uh, the interception late, the long run rate late really doesn't matter all that much in the final scheme of things because the ball game was over at that point. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just just as, as poorly as you want to say they played, and we, we want to talk about all of that as a fan base and as, and as, you know, analysts and things of that nature, people that are around the program, I mean, still within, you know, a touchdown of, of tying that ball game or, you know, even having an opportunity to take the, take the lead and win the game. Yeah, and, and I want to start – you know, the interceptions you can talk away if you want to. You get the uh, batter ball at the line of scrimmage. You get the ball down the field. Um, basically, eight guys playing prevent defense at the first down marker for the third interception. Now, again, other than, you know, the the middle interception is the one I could look at and go, well, maybe, uh, you know, could have went a different direction, kind of threaded a needle between several guys. I think that's a that's a legitimate one. I think the other two, the third one I think is just, you know, you have no other choice on fourth and 20 but to throw a jump ball or fourth and 25 or whatever it was. So you have to throw a jump ball to the sticks. Then the first one batted at the line just happens sometimes, right? But I think the middle one's the one. And, again, that was a red zone turnover. You look at third downs, red zone turnovers, it's, it's a little bit of a broken record, and I'm not – uh, just because I don't have as much time during the week as I have the last few years, and hopefully starting Monday I'll have a little more time with a with a potential new guy starting. But I'm going to go back and look at the third down, um, all the third down scenarios. I'm going to go back and look how first down impacts third down. You know, they averaged over 10.8 yards per third down in the game against Furman. And, again, it's tough. It's tough to, to convert third and 10, third and 11. You know, and it doesn't matter who you're playing. And ETSU was one for six on third down in the first half, Robert. Then third quarter, they go four for five. They're able to punch in a, a second touchdown pass from Rydell to Anaj Carter. But then in the fourth quarter, it was 0 for five. And it's just tough to win football games when you're constantly trying to, on third and 10, third and 12, third and nine, trying to convert. Yeah, it is. And that's and that's a situation that we, we have talked about at ETSU prior. I mean, wasn't that – you know, part of the talking points in 17, 18, and 19, and even going in to the to the championship year last year where you were doing a lot of, you know, work around that third down number and what it meant uh, to have, you know, third and short versus third and medium and third and 10 or more. I mean, it, obviously the, the percentages get less. There's not a lot of teams that get better as they get further away from that first down stick. But, you know, for ETSU, it's, you know, years past has always been they've leaned on that running game to get them in that second and five, that second and four, that third and one, third and two situation where you can have infinitely more success in moving the change. But you're right. I mean, you can't just be there in third and long all day long and expect to have success. You're going to get some, like Tyler Rydell's big run there where he stepped up and was able to pick up a first down of the ball game uh, in the third quarter uh, last weekend. But you're not going to get those all the time. And so, uh, yeah, I think – you know, first and second down success is really going to be an indicator of what third down looks like. And I would almost go to bed, and I don't know, go bet with this, but I don't, I don't know this for a fact. But I would almost bet that four for five in the third quarter, those third downs outside of the one where Tyler Rydell ran all the way down the field, they weren't looking at third and eight or more very much. I think it was all probably pretty, pretty, uh, you know, consistent distances where they could where they could have some success. Uh, so. You know, for me, I think third down is, is, is key. I think anybody would tell you that. And, you know, I think 
ETSU is just a player two way. I was, you know, you, you get that emotional reaction right after the game, and you're dejected, and you're you're tired, and you know, and, and you're like, man, what in the world? We're just we're just not there. And you know, you, you take a step back and you kind of approach it like a coach would, like George Quarles does, or or even someone else uh, around the country after a loss, where they talking, yeah, I have to look at the tape, I have to kind of digest it. And a lot of reasons they do that is it's not emotional at that point. It's more, you know, statistical and looking at some of the tendencies and things of that nature. And you look back now and you go, you know, as, as poorly as we felt like we've played as a, as a team, you know, we're, we're a player or two away in both games from being 3-0 and and everybody going, this is, we're right back to where we should be. You're top 10 in the country and everybody feels like, you know, you're on your way to a Southern Conference championship. So looking at some advanced stats, because this is, this is, again, stuff I look at, and then I want to go over some X's and O's and maybe some individual stuff. But 11 big plays for the Bucks out of the 72 total plays. So 73, actually, sorry, 73 total plays. 11 of them, big plays. So a rush, it's 15 or more. Uh, it's 20 or more on a pass. And so 11 plays, ETSU gained 255 yards. That means 62 plays, they gained 97 yards, averaging 1.5 yards per play that sticks out to me because I remember um in the game I went back and looked it up and I'm thinking man all those kind of big hit plays now of course you got the 75 yard touchdown but there were a lot of 15 20 yard type plays run plays as well uh but you'll take 11 plays out and the other 62 you're averaging a yard and a half that's certainly and that includes incompletes and some other things but still Robert it's got to be better than that on the other 62 plays we do. Yeah, you like the number eleven, right? That eleven big plays—that's that's significant. I mean, that's that's pretty elite offensively. Uh, you you want to have that double-digit number. The the issue, as you mentioned, is is trying to figure out a way to be more consistent. And you and you heard Coach Quarles talk about that. I'm sure the coaches and the and the players are talking about that in practice yesterday and today, and in preparation for Robert Morris this weekend. But that is consistency. You've got to be able to be consistent. And while you're not going to get 15-yard plays or more every single time you snap the football. And you're not going to have 40 of them in a game. be nice, but you're not going to have 40 of them in a game. You, you need to be able to have four and five and six-yard plays that set up everything else that you're trying to do. That way the explosive plays mean much, much more than, than they currently do. But I, I think the number 11 is great. The, the issue is the other plays that you're talking about and trying to find a little bit more consistency within the offense. So now I want to get into a little bit of some X's and O's. And I, I went back, and I don't know if you have, I went back and watched the game. And, of course, you were on TV that game and not on the sidelines. So we probably talked and saw different things. So first time me and you've got a chance to, to really digest the whole game. I think there's a lot of blame across the spectrum. Going back and looking, I think there were read option plays where Rydell did not make the right decision. I think there were pass plays that he did not have the right particular read. In the same token, offensive line did not have their best day. There was also normally ETSU running backs are good at picking up blitzes. Twice we commented on how Jacob Sailors had to turn to the quarterback and pat himself on the chest and say, my bad. And so they were not great at picking up blitzes from the running back spot as well. I also think sometimes Rodell, as he got pushed out of the pocket more, sometimes I think left the pocket a little early. There were receivers that dropped the football. Um, Jacob Sailors fumbled a ball, which is unusual. I think there was a lot of blame 
uh, really to go around that this isn't just as cut and dry after the game as I think most of the fan base kind of made it out to be. If you go back and watch it, I think you can look at several areas that all around ETSU had nine, ten guys doing the right thing and one guy not, and the one guy not in a game of football can really cost you. Yeah, and the weird thing was it's not the same one guy, right? Like what you just talked about and what we've seen, it's not the same one guy. And so for me, you, you just can't make a substitution and go, okay, well, we're fixed, ready to go. It's not like you can take, you know, an offensive lineman out, fix the situation, and, and you're in heat, and that, that new guy knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing, or at least is better at it. And then all, all of the problems are fixed, or you can't just change one wide receiver or the quarterback or the tailback or any of those positions. It, it is literally across the spectrum that, you know, you're, you're, you're missing assignments at some point. And, you know, they're not egregious, but they're just little things here and there that make the difference between, you know, Jacob Saylor's picking up a yard or the team picking up five or six. And that's where the consistency and all those other plays you're talking about comes in because – Obviously, they executed well enough on those big plays. So, you know, I think you're right. I mean, I just think there's there's plenty of it to go around. And here's where I, I think it lays and, and, and where it sits. And that is, and I was thinking about this today, Tyler Rydell has been at ETH his fourth year. Uh, he's played portions of three years, started really just one, um, but has played in portions, I think, since 2019, right, and had the covid spring and then the fall last year and now this year he's played three of those four under one system which was i don't want to say dynamically different but it was significantly different um what what they did offensively oh had some had some differences so now you're trying to learn that as a quarterback and he's not the only one there's 10 other guys that are trying to figure that out as well so they're trying to figure out keys and reads and while they had the spring and the fall it just it's just a tough thing to ask of a group that has been so, you know, ingrained with a very consistent and a very different type effort. So I think there's still some learning going on. Um, and I think we've seen improvement week to week. The question is, does the improvement get better drastically? You're going to have to be better this week on the road to win at Robert Moore. You're going to have to be significantly better the following week against Chattanooga at home. So are, are you going to see that bell curve or that curve start to really go up in terms of execution? If it does, I think they're there. I mean, because as much as we're talking about the one and two start, again, you're one or two plays away in every game. It's not as if these are two, three touchdown losses. I mean, these are one possession, you know, one or two things going your way here and there from being 3-0, and and everybody's talking about Southern Conference Championship anyway. So, you know, for me, does the consistency improve? And does the learning curve get a little bit better each and every week as they watch film, live action of this offense in, in action? I think the one question, do you think, and I have not talked to the coordinators. I talked to them on Thursday. And so generally I get to ask them some some questions that will never make air or will never be talked about. And there's some things right. that I'll let them know we can talk about. But sometimes there's just a very open conversation. Do you think Randy Sanders went with in 2018 – we're going to run my offense because we'll be better in year three and four, which they were, uh, and we're going to do it my way, and I don't care if you're drinking through a fire hose. Now, he also didn't inherit a team that was coming off a championship and some other things, so he wanted to do that. My question is I kind of feel like the coaching staff has gone with, here's the offense, we're going to drink through a fire hose, we're going to go. 
do you think it is still just a massive learning curve for Tyler Rydell and others? Because we've heard Jacob Saylor say he was doing the wrong thing game one using the old system. Do you think they're putting maybe too much on, let's say, Rydell, who has to do a bunch of checks, who has to do a, a, a ton of things and has to know more about the play than everybody else on there? Are they maybe leaning a little too much on him? Or do you think, because there is, as you said, as Coach Coral said, as the players said this past week, we're a couple plays away from being 3-0. and Do you still lean on that and say, hey, we, we're going to figure this out and this is going to be high octane because we've seen glimpses of it. It's just not been for four quarters yet. You know, you bring up an interesting point because I was, you know, in my head of talking about Tyler Rydell and the unfortunate things that have gone on, um, really thinking about, you know, how much more is on him this year than in past years, even in last year's season. I mean, let's let's look at last year and what he was asked to do. He was asked to manage games and then at the end, when necessary, cut it loose. Well, that's, you know, that's a tough thing to do. Obviously, he proved to be very special, which is why he's the starting quarterback and preseason first-team all-league. But you know, now he's asked to really do that for four quarters. Um, and that's that's just a different... It's a different type of expectation uh, for him. So I, I think there is, you know, some of what you discussed, which is, hey, listen, we're going to run this offense, and we need to run this offense this way in order to be successful. Um, I think there's going to be tweaks. I think coaches make changes, whether it be to personnel, whether it be to play calling, whether it be to the read for the quarterback. Um, but I think the one thing that is, that is good here um, is that you have a quarterback in Tyler Rydell who doesn't get two up or two down. Um, and one that is willing to take on that extra burden, both in the film room and on the field and, you know, in front of the media and all of those things that he does. Um, and so I think he's the perfect guy to try to continue to run this thing with. He's a smart kid when it comes to, to the to the football side of things. He completely understands process. He just has to get there. If you remember, you know, Randy Sanders at the beginning of last year talked about Tyler Rydell just, you know, one or two ticks off, you know, just not making quite the right read quick enough. Well, that changed towards the end of last year. He got better as the year went on as a starter. Remember, now he's in a new offense trying to do the exact same thing. So if he's just a tick or two off right now, what does game four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way up to 11 look like for him? And if he continues to make the steps that he did, then he's going to be much better come middle of the year, which is starting right now than he did in the first three games. And I expect him to look better on Saturday because of all of that. Switch to the op- uh, opposite side of the ball in the defense. Chandler Martin continues to impress another uh, team-leading tackle, 12. And then Elijah Huzzy, 12 tackles and five uh, pass breakups. And think about that for uh, Huzzy because he was picked on pretty much all day. But 12 tackles for him, 12 for Chandler Martin. Those two guys, all league, all world right now. Well, here's what I'll say about Chandler Martin. What a find. Right, I, I, I didn't know Chandler Martin until the week before game one. And I knew very little even going into game one. And I knew a little bit more going into the Citadel. And the Citadel exploded for the for the school record, 23 tackles. And had a great game uh, against, against Furman. The play that stands out to me against Furman is when he fought through the block there in the second half on a third down play to not only stop the runner from getting the third down, but also basically stopped him for no gain. I think he picked up three feet. I mean, that was – he took on an offensive lineman, went through him, made the tackle on the perimeter. 
one-on-one. I think that's that's pretty special and is indicative of who Chandler Martin is. I think the inside linebacker spot had some question marks because you lose guys in Folks and Manual who were all-conference players of the year, all-Americans, right? How do you replace guys like that? I think Martin and Scott missed very little in, in, in the first three games. They've been, they've been phenomenal. Um, and so... I think defensively they've been great. Elijah Huzzy, I think he got picked on a little bit. I think they got one pass interference wrong, and then I think they got the other one wrong, if that makes sense. I think the one along the far sideline against Furman on Saturday was the, – the, the, I thought the wide receiver fell down. I, that was my personal take. I didn't, I didn't think he made contact with him, but they called pass interference. The one across the middle where they picked the flag up, I actually thought he interfered with him a little bit, had his hand on him. But regardless, I think Elijah Huzzy's been really good because he's got a tough assignment. He's going to be on an island along with Quinn Smith a lot of times. But really, Huzzy is going to be on an island because they need that extra defender in other areas in Billy Taylor's defense. And so Huzzy's the guy now. Huzzy's going to be the guy that's going to be stuck on that island more often than not. And so far, he's been really, really good for my estimation. He's an all-conference, maybe an all-American type guy. Yeah, I think the – that's been the, the bright spot, I think, the secondary so far. And they're going to be challenged this week because Robert Morris just throws the ball all over the field. But even Chris Hope, right? You lose Tyree Robinson, yep. and uh, you know he makes three pass breakups. And I think that the one ball he could have intercepted, I think, just got on him quick because he turned his head around and it was on him. But still, he was in the right spot. He had a couple of plays across the middle where he had to make up ground to deflect the pass away. You know, And then I think Tonquez Ball got some time at Nickelback. And ever since he had those big kick returns against the Citadel, he seemed to have turned the corner and get some confidence. So I think the secondary is coming along nicely. We talked about the linebackers. I mean, heck, Timmy Dorsey almost had a day that a nose guard will never forget with, with a fumble recovery and an interception. I think if he went and jumped in the air, he may have had the interception. Well, I mean, we called Timmy Dorsey's name a bunch on Saturday. Like, he, he was he made plays. Like, usually the nose tackle's there to eat up blocks so the guys like Chandler Martin and Stephen Scott look like heroes, right? But, I mean, he, he actually made plays. Obviously, he had the fumble recovery, but he made some tackles. He was in on stops, and I think that's the reason why, outside of Dominic Roberto's run late, the initial read, Furman had nothing. If it was handed off to a tailback, Furman got literally nothing. I think that Roberto had a 16-yard carry at one point early in the game, and then the long 40-yarder or 45-yarder that, that, that capped the ball game. You take those two plays away, every time that Tyler Huff handed the ball off, they got absolutely nothing. And a lot of it had to do with Timmy Dorsey, who played uh, phenomenal. So I, when I look at the defense... I don't see much of a drop-off. And one name that you didn't mention was Sheldon Arnold. He played a lot on Saturday as well in the secondary. Uh, we kind of questioned, what are you going to do without the ball hawk Tyree Robinson, uh, without some of the depth that you have? Quinn Smith has always been the nickel guy. It's a little bit, little bit different situation than playing out wide. I think they've been fine there. I don't, I don't think there's been any issue. They will get tested this weekend, but you know, I think the, the secondary has been good. They've been able to get pressure as, as needed. Um, and, and I think the defensive fronts, Held up pretty nicely. We, we thought they were going to be thin there. They are thin there in terms of the amount of bodies, but they're rotating a bunch of guys, and you know they're making plays. So defensively, I think you're in a really good spot. The one thing that I'm going to go back and do is going to look at defensive performance. You know, first three weeks this year versus th- first three weeks last year. Obviously, Vanderbilt is in there versus Mars Hill, but how dominant was that defense against was against Vanderbilt? So numbers should be pretty similar. Uh, and we're just uh, I just wanted to take a look because that's. One area for me that that has has been very very consistent, despite all the new players 
and all the key names gone from a year ago. I, you know, I said this last year, every single time I was on a podcast, I said basically if ETSU could get to 24, they're going to win every game. Now, sometimes they needed a lot more in 24 to win a game, uh, a la Sanford and, and Mercer and Kennesaw State. But still, if they got more than 24, they won every game. This year it's similar. Um, you know, into talking to Billy Taylor, he, he had a very poignant point to me just talking about Citadel. He goes, hey, you know, people are pointing to offense didn't do this. He goes, but Citadel's defense got two stops in the red zone. We were great in the red zone last year. We gave up two touchdowns. That's the difference in the game. So that's how Billy Taylor is approaching things is we do our job on our side. We try to stop them as much as possible and see where the chips fall. You know, we can't worry about what offense is doing. We can't worry about special teams. Like, we have to worry about our six-by-six box. We've got to be able to make plays when we need to make plays and keep our team in it with a chance to win it. And certainly I think it's they're doing what I thought maybe they would struggle to do early, but they've been very good at it, and they've played a couple of different offenses. You know, Marshall, albeit like Robert Morris, Robert Morris is going to have better athletes, you know, just because of the, you know, FCS nature as opposed to Division Two. But they're going to chunk it around. Then they play three back. Then they play a little bit of a, a – I don't want to say a hybrid, but a little – not quite the throw it around like Mars Hill and Robert Morris is going to do. But certainly they had elements of that run. So they played different type of styles. And, again, Billy Taylor with all those hybrid type guys, he's been able to figure out how to keep the Bucks in it. Yeah, I, I like the hybrid look, at, especially at this level. I mean, guys who can play multiple positions, do different things from different positions on the field. And you're right, it's been – it's been a it's been a market consistency for for ETSU since really 2017 2016, really since the return of football. Billy Taylor's been a plug and play type guy. He's just been able to get the, the right talent, and he uses it the right way, adjusts it just enough, a tweak here, a tweak there, and you, you get very very similar results year after year. I mean, you know, Mark Hutchell said something on the the the, the TV side that that I agree with. He's like the dean of defensive coordinators in the Southern Conference, and I don't know, if, you know. Uh, if Billy Taylor likes that or not, but I mean that's a pretty good title. I mean, considering you know, I, I think everybody in the Southern Conference, every head coach, has a tremendous amount of respect for what for what Billy Taylor has done at, at ETSU and at Walford and some other schools. So, you know, I I think ETSU has got a really good one there. I'm, I'm glad that he's on the staff because I think he adds you know something that uh, you know is a little bit of like a bedrock there and allows for the rest of those pieces to try to to try to help and figure things out because his, his group has been been consistent uh, from year to year. Robert, we appreciate the time. Uh, me and you will be on the, the road to Pittsburgh Friday. Uh, the over-under yep. set by George Corals. For me, Kevin, and you were seven and a half sandwiches. How do you think we'll do? Well, Primanti Brothers is calling my name. I mean, I, I don't get the uh, – you know, Pittsburgh's – I got a kind of a, you know, a love-hate relationship with the city in and of itself. Uh, but uh, Permanente Brothers, I can I can handle a few of those. Now, seven and a half between three of us, that's, those are some big sandwiches. How many times do we get to eat there? That's the question. Is it all at one sitting? I, I, do I mean, have to go, like, at, like, can we go multiple times? Well, I was not given a time frame. I'm assuming same day, though. I don't, I don't think we could uh, eat well, We Friday can do seven and a half in the same day. It's just if I can spread out. If I got a little bit of time to, to get through one, I think we can get to seven and a half. It's only, what, two and a half each? That's pretty. That's pretty doable, right? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I can eat that. Um, again, not at not at you know, I can't eat two and a half right off the bat. But I believe, you know, we're big boys uh, between me, you, and Kevin, uh, and we haven't met too many sandwiches we didn't like. So I feel like it's a challenge. We also are competitive, so I feel like we're going to give it a go. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And I'm going to add one more thing about football real quick before we leave. I'm going to put my blue and gold glasses on just a second. 
You're one and two, right? You go to Robert Morris. Let's hope you get a win there. You're two and two. Non-conference slate's over. I know you got Mississippi State at the end of the year, but you don't have to worry about non-conference. If Chattanooga coming in. Everybody looks at two and two. You look at 0 and two in the Southern Conference. You go, we're done. Okay, well, you've lost to a top 25 Mercer club. You can throw the Citadel game out. That's just a loss you probably should have had. But Furman's now in the top 25, and I think they're going to stay there for most of the year. But you still have three ranked teams left on your schedule. One in the top 10. One might be in the top 10 by the time you get there in Mercer. You have a chance. That's a long chance. you got to win them all. But if you can get through those three, you got Western Carolina waiting at the end of the conference year to maybe possibly get in the playoffs. It's a, it's a blue and gold. Rosy red picture, but I looked at the schedule. The schedule's tough enough that you can overcome the losses, if that makes sense. You just have to win those games. Well, with the new format and the 24 teams, basically if you have seven FCS wins, pretty much everyone's gotten in every year. I think there's been one instance uh, where a team did not. But other than that, you pretty much bank it plus ETSU having a run last year, you would think. Because I think you could talk away the two losses. If you just, hey, we've – it's a new system. We're figuring out. We're one of the hottest teams, FCS. If you win seven in a row, I think you've punched your ticket for sure. No questions asked. If you drop one, you you got a lot, a lot of work because I don't think the Citadel loss is going to do you any favors. No, I agree. The Citadel loss is tough to overcome. If you're sitting at one and one, I think you're in a really good spot. I, but I, I just looked at the schedule and I said the SoCon is in a really is, is a really really good league and it's getting better year in and year out after it's been at least from the national perspective, down, right? But you have three teams, two, one in the top twenty, top 10 in, in Chattanooga, one in, I think, 15 in Mercer. You know, Sanford's there at 19. Uh, you've got, you know, Furman's in at 22, I think, 22-23. So you got a top 25 loss. you got those three top 20 teams waiting. By the time you get to both of them, they might, uh, to Mercer and to uh, Chattanooga, they might be in the top 10. I just think it's it, it's tough. It's a it's a big ask, but if things get better offensively, you get more consistent. I think a defense is a championship caliber of defense. The question is, can the offense come along quick enough? And if it does, you know that tough schedule is going to help you out. I know it looks daunting. It is daunting, but it helps you out if you're trying to make the playoffs. Well, Robert, we appreciate the time, buddy. I'll see you up here Friday. Yes, sir. Thank you. Break down. Five. Sandos and the sidekick. We have ignition. Strap it on. Here we go. In your face, all over the place. Let's take a look around the Southern Conference. We're going to start with the Wofford Terriers, and let's give it up for the Terriers. They finally scored. They shut me up. I said they wouldn't score for like, I don't know, a month or two. But they did. They were down 20 to nothing to Virginia Tech at halftime. They were able to score with 9 minutes, 34 seconds left to make it a 27-7 game. Nathan Walker, three-yard touchdown run. The Terriers, another brutal day of offense under 200 yards. This one, you can give them a pass, I think. You play you know, one of the better ACC defenses. I know Virginia Tech offensively not really a juggernaut, but if you look at their defensive numbers, solid defense. So give Coach Conklin credit. They got on the board. And maybe they have a little bit of momentum taken on everyone's favorite team from the uh, Big South, no longer the Atlantic Sun, the Kennesaw State Owls. A shocker to me, not really because um, who won, but just because they haven't played a game, and it's Cornell. The Big Red of the Ivy League had a lot of steam coming in, but they haven't played a game. VMI played a couple, but boy, it was a 
what was that, a 28-2 lead at one point for Cornell. Uh, VMI got a safety, then all of a sudden 28 by uh, Cornell. And then VMI comes storming back in the fourth quarter. In the last 536, they would get 20 points on the board, a one-yard touchdown run from Hunter Rice. Chance knocks a three-yard pass from Colin Ironside, and then Ironside a six-yard run. Um, got it to a 28-22 game, but it was not enough as the Big Red go on. Uh, Eric Weaver got the safety for the VMI Kedets, and how about this 19 tackles for a guy that needs no introduction in Stone Snyder. What a big day for him. I, shocker to me, not because of the score, but because the starting quarterback, Carlos Davis, did not play for the Catamounts, and the backup freshman, Cole Gonzalez. Yes, backup freshman, first collegiate start, and what a day he had. Unbelievable day as Western Carolina, only 7 nothing to end the first quarter. It was 28-7 in the second, and then all of a sudden they exploded 77-21, to the final score for the Catamounts of Western Carolina. And you look at the individual numbers – and Cole Gonzalez starts the game, goes 19-24, 276, and three scores. Then the third-string quarterback, Samuel Cornett, comes in, 4-4, four 6-4 four, four, four yards and a touchdown. Then the fifth-string quarterback, Brody Pagani, he comes in, two passes, 24 yards and a touchdown. We're not done yet. The 19th quarterback on the roster, Parrish, uh, Metzger, I believe it's how it said, Metzger, one of two 18 yards, and guess what, a touchdown. Six touchdown passes, four quarterbacks, and the starter didn't even play. Reed Desmond, 12 catches, 177 yards, two scores. That was on the ground. In the air, Raphael Williams, four catches for 73. It was DeAndre Tazmir. He had three catches, 62 yards, and two scores. Anyway, six touchdown passes by quarterbacks. I, I don't. I, maybe I threw one for him. I don't know. It's incredible to watch. And this is, again, Kerwin Bell is phenomenal at offense. His defense, you could say, well, I gave up 21 points to Presbyterian, but uh, you're going to have a hard time stopping I think the high-octane offense um, of the Catamounts right now. Let's look at the Mercer Bears. They won a league game 17-0 over the Citadel. It was a rock fight the first half. Each team zero points, but then Ty James, a couple of touchdown receptions from Fred Payton in the third quarter. They tack on a Devlin Fossler field goal. Mercer outgained the Citadel 371-151. to 59 yards passing, 92 yards rushing for the Citadel, 224 in the air for Mercer, 147 on the ground as Mercer 2-1. Their only loss, of course, to the SEC uh, Auburn. Uh, but you look at some of the numbers, and, and Mercer, you know, uh, they were one of the top three teams coming in. You got to look at them, and Chad have done nothing to make you think they are not. Furman's done some things that make you think maybe they could get in that top three. Certainly, issue has their work cut out for them. But Fred Payton, 16-24, 224, and a touchdown. Austin Douglas, 11 carries, 81 yards. Al Wooten, 11 carries, just 27 yards. Ty James, the big day. We mentioned the two touchdowns on seven catches, 138 yards. Speaking of the Chattanooga Mocs, they cruise over North Alabama, use two block punts. To a 41-14 victory and wanted up being homecoming for them. Preston Hutchinson continues to put up gaudy numbers. 303 yards, three touchdowns. In addition to scoring two more times on the ground, he had five total touchdowns. One of the two block punts returned for a touchdown. Ty Boak took it to the house, and North Alabama was down 20 to nothing. They would score a couple to get back into it, 20 to 14, but then it was the last three scores belonging to. Uh, the Chattanooga mocks, and again, the, the big story, I think, is Chattanooga, we knew defensively they're as good as anybody, 
best defensive line in the league. They were able to stop teams last year, but they struggled at the quarterback position. Alim Ford could always put up big numbers. He had 21 carries for 96 yards on the day. Uh, but Hutchinson, two touchdown carries, three touchdown passes, did throw one interception, but 22 of 31 overall, again, for that 303 yards. And then a game that shocked me, I thought – for sure, Sanford would kind of roll easy over Tennessee Tech. Shows you what I know. They needed a last-second touchdown. Matter of fact, 25 seconds to go in a game. The third time on the day, Michael Hires hit Chandler Smith, 33-28, the final score. Michael Hires continues to put – and, again, it's tough to say, and I'm not knocking it. It is a little bit of a system. They seem to plug and play anybody in there. Similar to what you're seeing, I think, with Kerwin Bell. But Hires, 29-47, 327, and four scores. 38 rush attempts, 20 by Jay Stanton, 20 carries, 98 yards. Jalen Thomas, 13 carries, 96 yards. Ty King, five catches for 97. Chandler Smith, five catches, three of those for scores, 56 yards receiving. And Peyton Ringer had a touchdown reception as well. Uh, two catches, 51 yards total. So Sanford able to escape former ETSU assistant Dwayne Alexander at Tennessee Tech. And so you look at the final scores and that'll do it for that let's look at the standings real quick and non-conference wise the first three and zero start since 2018 for chattanooga uh Furman's at two and one mercer two and one citadel one and two sanford and western carolina each at two and one vmi at one and two wofford at zero and three and etsu at one and two but in league standings mercer Furman, chat all at one and oh citadel at one and one wofford at zero and one and etsu at the bottom at zero and two so we will break down the week coming up on Thursday's show, we'll break that down for you in the Southern Conference and uh, kind of give you our thoughts there. But that was the week that was, if you will, in the Southern Conference. Now time to take a look at Bold Predictions, our recap. Shohei Otani has taken MLB by storm this season. He's the first player in MLB history to be selected to the All-Star Game as both a pitcher and a position player. The Brooklyn Nets are home. They are done. If they were committed, if they put in that work, you'd be in the Eastern Conference right now. The Brooklyn Nets are home watching the playoffs with the rest of us. JaVale McGee has been added to the Team USA roster. Yes, I'll say that again. JaVale McGee. Jamari Monsanto announced he would not be returning to the Buccaneers. A six foot six, 225 pound, three star shooting guard was this year's Southern Conference Freshman of the Year. But Jay is my teammate. He stepped up with the 17 green to our left, the 18th tee, 45 yards away. Jay proceeds to hit from the 18th tee to the 17th green and into the 17th bucket. All right, bold predictions, although one of them not quite done yet. I talked about it um, as we opened the show, but uh, Matt Wilgham's Atlanta Braves right now needs two more wins against the, what is it, the Nationals? I believe the Nationals. They swept the Phillies, won the first game against the Nationals. He gets the next two. He will get a bold prediction of the Bravos winning six straight. He did not uh, get the Huzzy and Huzzy law firm each scoring a touchdown. He got one of them. I actually got none of them. I'm sorry. Well, Huzzy did not score. It was Nosh Carter had those couple touchdown passes. He also had the Bears winning straight up against Aaron Rodgers. He should know better, as Aaron Rodgers never loses to the Bears. Like I mean, like ever. I got a Nosh Carter with a touchdown, although he had two of them just to boot. I had a horrific pick of Nebraska over Oklahoma, and North Dakota State did not win 
at Arizona. And actually, I don't even know if that would have counted as bold because how about this? North Dakota State ended up being favored on the road, FCS versus FBS. Uh, but they did not win, so it didn't matter either way. And so that is our bold predictions. And Matt Wilgham can get credit for another one if the Bravos can win the next two. So here's pulling for, uh, I guess, the Nationals because I don't want to lose to Matt Wilgham. And bold predictions uh, again, or at least have him timing in bold predictions since I got one right. All right, that'll do it for our show. Big thanks to uh, Sandos and the sideline guy, or Robert Harper, for breaking down the Furman Paladins. Uh, hopefully I can get Matt Wiljum back the following week. We may or may not have a sidekick. Maybe starts Monday, maybe not. We'll see what happens. Uh, ETSU on the road to Robert Morris. High noon kick, 10.30 pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Mark Hutzel, myself, and Robert Harper on the call for that. Plus, Don Hellman will be back in the studio. Thursday, we'll break that down. We'll break down the Southern Conference. We'll do four downs, and we'll give our bold predictions for the week on our next edition of Sandos No Sidekick. Buccaneer Sports Network. <laughs>